I got to say is I've been preaching here long enough. Brother Ricky ought to be living better than what he is. I uh, have recently began to try to study the characteristics of the pastor I'm going to preach for before I get there and emulate him. That way the congregation feels more comfortable. So I was thinking about Brother Rick, and I told my wife, I said, now when you cut my hair, cut it real short. And I bought me a pair of glasses but forgot them. And I gained 20 pounds. So what do you think? Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel, chapter number 17. Thank you, Brother Ellis, for delivering your heart. All the singing has been wonderful. I often say you'd have to be an evangelist to appreciate good singing. I was in a meeting one time that all the music they had was an elderly woman played the organ for 15 minutes before I preached. And I like organ music, but she worked for the funeral home. By the time she was done, it was dead. So I appreciate this melody to the Lord. I want to preach these uh, three services, the Lord permitting and will, from this uh, text, emphasizing the giants in a little different light from a different perspective. This morning, I'm going to begin with the thought of giants without end. I wish that I could come to you and say that you will ever, only ever have one major storm in your life. One uh, great trial or trauma, or temptation. But we all know that's not so. So we're going to look for a few moments in David's life at the giants that he faced, three of them. But understand that these giants, and when I speak of giants, I speak of those ominous forces, harassing presence, imposing situations, so alarming, scary, and um, dangerous. I'm talking about those giants that would like to bring us down on any level. And so I want to begin by reading verse 4 of this text, verse 44, and then verse 50, and we'll scoot over to chapter 18 and read a few verses, and then we'll go to 2 Samuel, chapter number 11. Verse number 4, 1 Samuel 17. 
And there came out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. They tell us that's about nine foot, four to six inches. Look, if you will, in verse 44. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then in verse number 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling, with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. Now let's skip to chapter 18 just across the page. We'll pick up in verse number 5. But I want to say about what I read to you in chapter 17. That's giant number 1. First giant that David faced. Giant number 1. Chapter number 18 and verse number 5. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul was very wroth. The saying displeased him and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed but thousands, but what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. It came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit of God came upon Saul he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. He went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all of his ways, and the Lord was with him. Giant number two. Giant number two. Now let's go to Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, 3, and 4. It came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is this not the is this not this is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliab, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her. Giant number three. I want to look at these giants, three of them, in an analogy. 
And I want us to make application to the giants that maybe we have faced, we are facing, or we will face. Those evil forces that would, as I say, destroy us and kill us if they could. I'll do it in question form so you can easily follow me as I compare these three. We'll just jump in right away. First of all, I would look at who these giants are in David's life so we could understand who they are in our lives. It tells us in each one of the texts, we have Goliath, uh, we have Saul, and we have Bathsheba. Saul, if we were to describe him, would simply be described as someone who was big, very large and very imposing. He was big. That was Goliath. But when we come to Saul, the thing that seems to surface about him is that he was bad. His attitude, his spirit, he was ugly. Uh, he became an enemy of David and sought to kill him at any, in, in any place or any time. He's an he's a ill-willed, uh, maligned person. He's bad. You wouldn't want to spend any time around him. Everything that comes out of him is bad. While Goliath is big and Saul is bad, Bathsheba is beautiful. Beautiful. I would summarize that to say that I could never tell you what your giant is going to look like. Sometimes he'll be that large figure that you can see him a mile away. Other times he'll just be that aggravating source in your life. Sometimes it may be part of your family. Sometimes it may be a friend that's turned sour. Sometimes it may be something that is physical or financial. Who knows where that, who knows what the giant is going to look like? Uh, sometimes he may be beautiful, something that is very caressing, something that you would long to touch or whatever. Beautiful. I'm reminded of Satan in the garden. He's a snake. In the New Testament, he's a roaring lion. Paul said he's able to change himself into an angel of light. You must be careful when it comes to the appearances of these giants. Never know what they're going to look like. I'm talking about who they are, Goliath, Saul, and Bathsheba. The second question that... I would answer is, where do they come from? Will your giants come in from the north? Will they come up from the south? Will they move in from the east or from the west? Do you ever know from what direction the giants are going to pounce on you? I notice that Goliath stands in front of him. It is a frontal attack. As a result of that, I think that... Uh, there's really little excuse for being defeated by a giant because you can see him a mile away. I mean, there he is. And uh, 
you, you just, you can, you can follow him. Inexcusable to, to be brought down by the giant that you know what it is when you see it. In other words, I would make application to maybe alcohol. Everybody knows what alcohol do to you. Everybody knows what drugs will do to you. Everybody knows what, it, it's inexcusable for us to fall to some giants that would uh, come at us from the front. He's big and here he moves at us from the front. Saul is always behind David. He's the giant that is preying upon him, nipping at his heels all the time. Keeping David on the run, trying to wear him down as a wolf would its prey and then devour it. He finds him in a cave when uh, he's in there hiding. He goes up to the house of the Lord where Samuel is and here comes Saul. He tries to move into other nations and even goes to his own house and Saul sends men there uh, to get him. He never knows. You've got to be careful. You just don't ever know. You can't ever rest as to when the giant may come up from behind that bush, that tree, that rock to get you. Some come from the front. Some are always behind you, keeping you on the move. But I think the worst of all giants is not the one in front or the one behind, but it's the one that gets on the inside. And that is Bathsheba. She's close to the heart. She is alluring, something very desirous and something very beautiful. Now, I want to say right here that I'm not going to blame this experience that David has with Bathsheba on her simply. I will not excuse her because she shouldn't have been out there bathing where there would have been in sight of anybody. That, uh, of course, would bring her into condemnation on this. But we got to understand that it was David who sent after her. So they were both in the fault. But the thing about it is David has it close to his heart. And it's not an instantaneous fall to this giant. David has cultivated this within him for years. By the time he gets to Bathsheba, he already has seven wives. And uh, he has built this, he has allowed this to live within him. It's close, I say to you, it's close to his heart. It's very heartbeat. Oh, giants in front of you, giants from behind you, they're all dangerous, but the worst one is the one that abides within you right now. I'm talking about who they are, Goliath, Saul. Bathsheba, big, bad, and beautiful. Where they come from, sometimes from the front, some from behind, and sometimes from within. Philip Keller, in his book on the shepherd and the sheep, talks about being in the Rockies, looking over on a precipice. In a distance from him, he sees one of those grizzly bears, huge, ten foot tall. And uh, he said, I was captivated from it by it, and I watched it 
uh, for a lingering amount of time. But he said, I wasn't afraid it was too far away from me. But then he said, I write within four or five feet, he, I heard the rattling of a snake. And he said, I turned and right there was a rattlesnake that could have gotten me easily because it was so close while I was transforming and focused on something that was so far away. Let us make sure that we deal with the one that's on the inside first. Talking about who they are, talking about where they come from or their directions. But the third question that I would ask is when do they show up? When are, can you mark on your calendar and say, well, kind of like a dentist appointment on Friday, a doctor's appointment on Tuesday. Of course, the older we get, the more of those appointments we have. But when it comes to the giants, I don't know that you can um, put them on the calendar and say, well, Goliath's going to show up on such and such a time, and I'll probably get, run into Bathsheba at another uh, time or whatever. What I notice in these giants is that Goliath came when he was a shepherd boy, young and tender. Let's me say that the devil is always out after our young folk. He wants you in the beginning if he can get you. That's why it's so important in meetings like this and in our churches and so many churches I'm in, I look around and there are almost no young people. Oh, I want you to know the devil is out to get them. He wants David while he's young if he can get him. Oh, he, he, is, he, is, he is a shepherd boy. But when Saul turns his wrath against David, he's a soldier in battle. He has matured, he has grown, he is now a young man, but he's facing probably a bigger giant than what Goliath was. But oh, when we come to Bathsheba, he is a seasoned soldier. He is a sovereign on the throne. He is as high in the pinnacle as he has ever been. And it is right there here at the peak of his life that the worst of giants in his experience shows up. I remember speaking to a lady in her early 90s. Humorously, I said to her, ma'am, at what time in your life did you cease to have any more problems with the world, the flesh, and the devil? <laughs> and she looked up and grinned, and she said, young man, you'll have to ask somebody older than me. And of course, you that are young, know that you face the giants. You that are middle-aged, know that you face the giants. And us that are getting a little older, we know we still face the giants. I just... Uh, turned 69 this year. So I asked my wife, I said, honey, should I present myself different to the congregation since I'm older, you know, a little older? She said, probably. I said, well, what do I need to do? She said, well, don't, don't try to be witty and, and don't act smart or intelligent. I said, well, what? She said, just be yourself. So that's what I'm going to start doing. 
But I'm saying to you these giants as Goliath and Saul and Bathsheba from the front, the back, from within, these giants, some of them come when you're young, middle-aged, and some of them come when you are older. But understand you that, that as long as you live, you are susceptible to the giants, to those ominous, imposing, intimidating, terrorizing, threatening figures in your life. Who they are, where they come from, when they show up. But then I would ask the question, what do they want? If there are giants, and we all know that they are, who would destroy us physically, would destroy us emotionally, would destroy us mentally, would destroy us especially physically, would bring us down. What is it they want? It's very evident in each of these three. It was Goliath who said to David, Come to me, and I will feed you to the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air. In other words, what he's saying is, I want your body. He wants your body. And understand, the devil would love to have your body, which is made in the image of God, to so warp it until there is no recognition of God whatsoever. He wants your body. It was not so much David's body that Saul seemed to be eating at. It was his spirit. Saul is attacking him with his attitude, uh, with his ill will and desire to destroy him. But what he's doing is he's trying to draw him into the fight, into the parade. In other words, Saul wants to make David him. He wants to cause David to retaliate. He wants to cause David to react. He wants to ruin David's spirit. It's what he wants to do. The devil, if he can't have your body, listen, church member, you may be a little too religious to give him your body on some levels, but you already turned your spirit over to him, your attitude over to him. But if he ever gets into your spirit, honey, he'll ruin everything else. My wife's grandfather, 96 years old, when he went to heaven, pastored and pioneered churches all across those North Carolina mountains. And I'd go sit at his feet for his last 10 years just to talk to him and listen to him, gain from his wisdom. The last thing he would always say to me when he put his hand, he would put his hand Brother Eric, right here on my shoulder, and he'd look me in the eye, and he'd say, young man, take care of your spirit. And I thought of all the things that this preacher could say to me. But then I realized, Paul said, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your what? Your spirit. Do not let the devil contaminate your spirit. He is after your body. He is after your spirit. 
Goliath and Saul reveal that. But when it comes to Bathsheba, it almost seemed as though he got body, soul, and spirit. But what I want to emphasize right there is he'll take what you give him. The devil, I'm going to tell you, and his imps will come. The giants will pursue to get whatever you will surrender on whatever level. He's out to get something, but he wants it all. He's coming after it. That's what he wants. I'm talking about Goliath, Saul, and Bathsheba. Front, back, from within. Body. Wants the body, wants the spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. If he can get it, he wants it. But then another question that could be answered by these giants is if they're coming, and we know they are, everybody's going to have to fight the giants. Every child of God's going to have to be confronted by the enemy, the opposing forces. But the question is, how do we deal with them? How do you deal with a Goliath? How do you deal with a Saul? How do you deal with a Bathsheba? Well, now, before I get to that, I, I noticed in the Scriptures that it only took minutes. I mean, we pick up with Goliath in verse number 4. By verse number 51, he's off the scene. He don't even last a whole chapter. And he's dead. It only took, I'm, I'm going to say only a few hours, but from the time that David goes running at him, it's almost seconds or no more than a minute or two until this man's dead. It only took moments to get rid of this giant. Well, I don't know about you, but the only kind of giant I like is a dead giant. And as I pondered that, I had to pause, put it on hold for a moment, and thank God for the giants that he killed early on in my life. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I've told you that before. Raised in a home of a drunken father without a mother who left when I was a year and a half old. I was the youngest of nine children that grew to adulthood. And in that environment, my dad never remarried. I was schooled in nothing but detriment and darkness and evil. Never taught anything, didn't know nothing about the Bible, nothing about the gospel, nothing, nothing, zero. But when I heard that gospel, Brother Tim's daddy, Jim Fallou, little old storefront church in Cleveland, Ohio, went there on three occasions and I heard the gospel. It got in my head, didn't get in my heart. On one Sunday afternoon, walking down a little alley by myself, guess who showed up? The heart of the gospel, Jesus did. And he saved me, hallelujah. But here's the truth of the matter is, my whole family was engulfed 
It was the vice of my family for generations was liquor. I buried four brothers and a dad because of it directly and indirectly. It consumed them. But can I say to you, when God saved me, he killed that giant and I ain't never had a problem. No, no virtue in me. He killed the giant. I don't care how many ABC stores, liquor stores, beer joints, you can have them on every curb, every corner. I don't need it. I don't want it. But what I'm saying is I'm glad that I'm not dragging that giant behind me trying to tempt me and bring me down. He's dead. We did a whole lot of stealing. Stealing wasn't bad unless you got caught. I remember early on when they used to deliver the milk jug, set it on the porch. We'd steal the cereal from the store. Then we'd steal the milk from people's porches. And it had a little plastic handle on it. You remember that? Well, even if you broke the milk jug, I figured out you could get 25 cents out of the handle. You couldn't beat that, did But what I'm telling you is, when God saved me, what I realized is I had no desire to steal. My first language was foul language. That's just the way we were raised without a mother. But when God saved me, what I soon realized, I didn't hear no preaching on all of that. I didn't get rehabilitated on all that. I realized that God had taken the foul language out of me. He killed the giants. I don't have to mess with them. They're dead. David's not worried about Goliath the next day. He's dead. I'm glad there's some things I don't have to worry about. It's dead. Took care of Goliath in minutes almost. Can I get some water on credit? But when I think about Saul, historians tell us that he lasted probably 10 years chasing David, didn't he? He's one of those giants that lingered and kept David questioning and wondering where he was at, knowing that he was after him. And I must be honest with you, while God killed Goliath for me, whew, I still have some giants that I battle with. Right. I said, Lord, why don't you go ahead and kill them so I don't have to worry about them. There's some giants that I've got to be careful with even to this day or I know that if I don't watch them, they're going to slip up and bring me down. You say, preacher, what are they? None of your business. I won't ask you what yours are, but you know you've got them. Oh, I know Goliath was gone in minutes. Thank God for those bugs. Saul lasted for 10 years, but I'm going to tell you something. I don't believe he ever got over Bathsheba. He died with that thought on his mind. The one giant that brought him down. But how do we deal with these giants? If they're coming and they are. If they're after us and they are. What is our defense when it comes to these giants? Again, I think it's evident in Scripture. The only way 
that David is going to be able to bring Goliath down is through that gift that God gives all of his children, and it's called faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And when Goliath came out and told David what he was going to do, David in return said, Yes, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts of the armies of Israel. The battle belongs to the Lord, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D. David believed God for this towering figure. David believed God could bring him down. By faith, honey, the only way some giant's going to be handled, you'll have to believe God for them. But when it comes to Saul, it's amazing how some giants God will let you handle them. Do you notice he let him hit Goliath? That's not real polite. He threw a rock and hit him in the head. And then ran up there and took the guy's sword and chopped his head off and took that head back in his tent and went to bed that night and slept like a baby. God never said nothing to him about it. I mean, no, no condemnation. Oh, he could, he could whoop up on that giant. Yep. Now, some giants God may let you handle every now and then, especially the devil. I don't like him. Never have liked him. I don't feel bad about it. But yet, there's some giants, some that are more dangerous than others that may be close to you, may be kin to you may be a part of the same kingdom and the same family and will turn their weapons against you. But what David realized is, is that Saul was God's anointed. He never had any liberty to lay a finger on him. He left him in God's hands. Honey, I want you to know, don't let the souls of this old world contaminate your spirit and drag you into some kind of a, of a fight spiritually and in attitude and so on to bring you down to their level. God won't allow you to touch his saints. He won't allow one preacher to touch another preacher. He won't allow one Christian to touch another Christian. He couldn't touch Saul. Couldn't touch Saul. No matter what Saul did, he couldn't touch Saul. You say, well, how do you deal with somebody you can't touch? It says it four times in chapter number 18. Saul threw javelins at him twice. He demoted him. He's over the whole army and he demotes him to be over a thousand. B.R. Lakin said that every now and then in your church, you ought to just choose a man out and demote him. If he gets mad, that proves he shouldn't have been promoted to start with. David doesn't get mad. He gets demoted four times. He chases him up, I say to you, up to the house of God where Samuel is. He comes to his own house, sends soldiers to kill him there. But on every occasion after each incident, the Bible said, and David behaved himself wisely. 
You can deal with Goliath by faith, but you'll have to deal with Saul through faithfulness. Keep doing what God has wanted you to do. Keep following him. Keep praying. Keep in the book. Keep fellowshipping. Keep faithful to the house of God. Somebody said, well, he throwed a rock at my dog. I throwed one back at his dog. He just turned you into him. So, well, if she hadn't said what she said about me, I wouldn't have said what I said. She just turned you into her. You said, well, what am I supposed to do? Behave! Don't throw no rocks. Don't pull no swords. Don't run no spears through anybody. You behave. How do you deal with them? Through faith, through faithfulness. Somebody said, well, how do you deal with the Bathsheba, the giant that brought him down and just as much his fault or more than hers? But what do you do about Bathsheba? You deal with one through faith, one through faithfulness. And the only way you can ever deal with the one that gets you it's through forgiveness. <laughs> Every now and then, one of them giants might get a little too close. We're not perfect people. Huh? May supersede in a certain situation. Who knows what it may be. Hopefully to God, never as bad as what David fell in. But we know that we are all human The best thing to do once you realize that has happened is find you a Psalm 51. After you've heard, after you've heard 2 Samuel chapter 12 from the Word of God and the man of God, and tell God everything you've done and ask Him to forgive you. Aren't you glad the heart of this Bible is forgiveness? And the heart of the gospel is forgiveness? And the cross, the biggest thing that was said from the cross was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, how are we going to deal with them? Through faith and faithfulness and through forgiveness. Now, my last question. I'm talking about the giants. I'm talking about Goliath, Saul, Bathsheba. I think this is probably one of the more important questions to ask. And many times we do ask, why the giants? Why Goliath? Why Saul? And why Bathsheba? It looks like that God, when he saved his children, would right-handle with care on them and never have to face a giant. Why did he let Joseph go through what he went through at the hands of his brothers and the Ishmaelites and, and Potiphar's wife and the prince? Why? Why? Why was it that Daniel was removed to Babylon? Why? And the giants that he faced there. Why is it that David's having to face these giants? Why? Well, 
I would say to you that when it came to Goliath, I believe that Goliath was ordained of God. Because God was going to use Goliath, and you've heard this said, and I, I feel sorry for poor old Goliath. He didn't realize this was a fixed fight. It's over before it starts. But what God does is He uses Goliath to put David on the mat. Nobody knows about David. Nobody knows really who he is. Nobody knows what God's going to do with him. Nobody knows, but God used Goliath to raise him up. What God's going to do is let some, I'm going to tell you, some giants. God's going to let some trials. God's going to let some situations and circumstances that are humongous come into your life. And what God's going to do in the midst of that is raise you up and let you see what faith can do in the midst of all of that. And others will say that you handle it by faith. No, Goliath, David's going nowhere. No tribulation, no trials, no heartaches, no circumstances. You're not going anywhere. He wants to raise you up. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to mature you. He's going to send a Goliath to do it. Ordained of God. Saul was anointed of God, was he not? Yes. He is of the seed of Abraham, a part of the kingdom of God. And somebody said, well, why Saul? Well, Goliath raised David up. Saul tempered David. What God did with Saul was to show him what kind of king he didn't want. Now, David, I don't want you throwing javelins. David, I, I don't want you listening to the voice of the people. And that's what he did. David, I don't want you trying to be what I didn't mean for you to be, a priest in Samuel's stead. David, I'm allowing Saul in your life to show you what I don't want. Someone would say, well, why do I have to work with somebody like that? Find out. That's not what God wants you to be. How come I have to live with somebody like that? And show you what God doesn't want you to be. How come my neighbors are like they are? Because God doesn't want you to be like that. He's going to bring those cantankerous, ugly, ill-willed spirits in your life to say to you, Hey, this is not what I want. He tempers him. He tempers him. So when he gets to the throne, he will know how to be a king. But somebody said, oh, what about Bathsheba? Well, while I would say that Goliath was ordained of God, I believe that. And I would say that Saul was anointed of God. He's part of the family. I would not say that about Bathsheba. But this I would say, she was allowed by God. Allowed by God. You know, the providence of God, the hand of God in the, in the glove of humanity. 
The Bible is filled with the stories of which he altered things or changed things, moved things, so that what would have happened didn't happen. Or what would not have happened did happen. God in his providence shuffling things around. And we could give story after story after story in the word of God about that. Mordecai is one. I mean, he hears something, he tells it. The king can't sleep and said, bring him in and read to me. And they read to him and then he finds out that what Mordecai had done. And then Haman shows up and Haman gets put on his own. You know the story. And I thought, you know, God could have altered this. Not had Bathsheba where she was when David was where he was. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, he was saying the world's get a woman to go shopping. All he could have done is somebody had somebody come out and say, hey, Bathsheba, you want to go shop? shopping? Yeah, I'm going shopping. She wouldn't have been there. It's at this point in time that David is getting together the materials for the tabernacle or the temple so Solomon can build later. And, and he's really engulfed in that and he could have went getting together more materials. And he wouldn't have been there. God could have altered that. But he did not do that. They were both there at the same time. But let me park right here and say, it'll take heaven for us to find out how many times God moved things to keep certain things from happening. How God delivered you and you didn't even know that you were being delivered because he altered some things. He didn't get you at that time or maybe you were there sooner. And I'm going to tell you something, raised in the paganism that I was raised in. After I got saved, I'm going to tell you, I didn't know a whole lot of truth. I didn't know a whole lot of right and wrong and I found myself falling into certain situations that could have been so hazardous and destructive. I think of two or three accounts that if God hadn't shut it down, I wouldn't be here. I look back and he moved it. I didn't ask him to move it. I mean, I was going headlong into it and he changed it. He moved it. Something happened, it didn't happen and here I am. Thank God for what he moves. But sometimes he chooses not to move. And so they're there at the same time. And while Goliath raised David up and exalted him, exalted him, while Saul tempered him, got him ready for the throne. Understand what I'm saying. It was Bathsheba that humbled him humbled him. And understand what I'm trying to, I'm going to say right here because it applies to me and everybody here. God would rather have an humble servant than a proud king. He allowed this. I divide David's life into two parts. Before Bathsheba and after Bathsheba. Now understand, I'm like the old mountain preacher. I can't explain this. It's just the way it is. 
I do not think that I would have wanted to be around the young David. He's the apple of God's own eye. And his life is right on every level. But as you study, and I'm glad of that. I'm glad of that. Thank God for it. But here's the danger of it. He was so right, he had little patience for anybody that was in the wrong. He had little time for imperfection. And one of the great illustrations of that is when Saul is on that mountain battling with the Philistines for the last time. He knows they're going to capture him, and so he runs himself through with a sword, does he not? Here comes a young man, an Amalekite across the hill. Saul entreats him, begs him to run him through again with the sword so that he will not be put into the hands of the enemy alive. And this young man fulfills his wishes, gets his things together, takes them down to the army of Israel, lays them at the leader's feet who happened to be David. And David asked him, said, where did you get that? And he told him. And said, what did you do? said, I run him through with the sword. He said, did you not know that this was God's anointing? He's an Amalekite. He's not an Israelite. What does he know about all of that? And he turns to the man that's beside him and says, run him through. And without hesitation, he watches a young man, maybe a teenager or whatever, being run through right before him. And when he does that, I said, thank God I didn't know the David before Bathsheba because I'm not perfect. <laughs> oh, I'd hated to have him analyzing my life. That's the trouble with us Baptists. We get to thinking we're so right. Everybody else is wrong. We're always looking down fences. And it don't take long to kill somebody. Run them down, talk about them. I didn't mean to get on all that, but it's the truth. That's the before Bathsheba, the after Bathsheba. David is running from his son Absalom. While he is running, there is a Benjamite running upon the hill above him. He's cursing David. He's calling him a bloody man. And one of his mighty men said, he can't talk to the king like that. You want me to go up there and run him through? And here's David's words. No, he's right. Because after Bathsheba, David knew that every day he lived was a day of grace. On three occasions by law, he ought to have been killed himself. He realized the grace of God. And it is this matter of Bathsheba that has humbled him. I'm not saying we all need something, especially to that degree. But I do want to say to you that God will allow, there is no extent that he will not allow you to go through if he has to humble you and get rid of the pride. He doesn't matter. He doesn't matter listing it in Scripture, what's happened to David, the apple of his own eye. He doesn't care. If it takes it, he'll let it happen to humble us. Never a time I stand behind this sacred desk 
analyzing my own life that I don't feel unworthy on some level. And I don't mind that. Now, let me wrap this up. I'm talking about the giants. Goliath, Saul, Bathsheba. If I had my choice in the matter, I'd like to be giant proof. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So I'll just send them my way. I'm giant proof. But what we realize is that there is only one man that ever lived that the devil didn't in some way, didn't in some way overcome him. And that was Jesus. Without sin. Let me illustrate this. Close it out. Talking about where I was raised there in West Virginia. When I was just a kid, maybe 9, 10, 11 years old, I used to go around them country roads and collect pop bottles. Is that what y'all call them? I could get eight pop bottles, three cents a piece, and add a penny to it, and I had 25 cents. I could go into the old country store there with 25 cents. Now, young people, listen to 25 cents. I could get a moon pie, RC Cola, and a bag of chips. Now, I'm telling how old I am. Brother James could throw a hot dog in on that too, couldn't you, Brother James? <laughs> we was bragging on one another, telling each other how good we looked and figured we'd get in the altar afterwards. And what I'd do is I'd go outside the store and there's a little ledge on the window there where you could set your drink down and your chips and I always went for the moon pie. And on this certain day, while I was unwrapping my moon pie, there's a boy walking up that road that was five years older than me, same age as my brother Reed. Have you ever looked somebody in the eyes and could tell that they would like to severely beat you about the head and shoulders. And I kind of figured what it was. When I was around all my brothers, I had five brothers older than me, bigger brothers, and he was there. I probably said some things I shouldn't have. But I was by myself. And man, he was just, he'd just come over and leaned over on that ledge there, looking down on me. I mean, he was that much taller than me. And uh, I was feeling uncomfortable. My, it was, I couldn't get my moon pie down. It was choking me. Spirit was tense. I mean, I didn't want it to break out in the fight. I knew I didn't have no chance. And then finally, while he was standing there, something lightened the air. He looked at me. He said, Dana, where's Reed at? That was my brother, five years old. What I sensed out of that was, is while he knew he could whip me there, anywhere, at any time, I picked up on a fear of my big brother. Where is Reed? I said, hmm. Now, I lied. But I saved myself a whooping. I said, well, he's, he's at the house. He said he'd be up here in about three minutes. Huh? Man, it just changed the whole atmosphere. 
I mean, I swallowed my moon pie down. I drank my drink and eat my chips. I was patting him on the back. No fear whatsoever. He knew he could whip me, but he's afraid of read. And I had sense enough to know there wasn't no sense of me fighting him if Reed could take care of him. My big brother. And you know, after I got saved, the devil come here with all them temptations. And I found myself fighting him, trying to fight him, thinking maybe I could overcome. He whipped me every time. But I got to read the Bible the first time through the New Testament, and I found out everywhere there's a demon, they're scared to death when Jesus walked in. They trembled. I found out, I know I can't handle the devil. I can't whip the devil. I can't take care of the devil, but I got a big brother that can. He took him in that wilderness. He took him, thank God, in the prayer, in the garden. He took him at the cross. He took him the resurrection ascension. One of these days gonna sling him off into hell. I found out the devil's scared of my big brother. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Giants without end. 